In Australia, there are around 500,000 households where kids are growing up without the presence of a father. What's the impact of this as these kids enter adulthood themselves? Warwick Marsh is an outspoken fatherhood advocate, but he says parents can still make a positive difference even if dad isn't around a whole lot. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, I'm privileged to have Warwick Marsh with us today. Uh, Warwick's from down Wollongong Way. It's uh, it's beautiful down there, beautiful beaches, beautiful bush. How are you, Warwick? It's great to be talking to you, bro. That's excellent. Now, Warwick, you're just passionate uh, about dads and, you know, and fatherhood and, and masculinity. It's something that you uh, sort of campaign about nationally. You, know, you encourage men. You, you often even make you know, public and, and even political statements sometimes that rub people up the, the wrong way. Tell us a, a little bit, bit about yourself, uh, about your background and how you've come to be involved in this area of you know, dads and fatherhood. Well, I guess uh, they say you're you know, your, your mess becomes your ministry. And so, you know, I've grown up in a, had a wonderful father, wonderful mother, mm. but they couldn't get along. And it was World War Three in our home. I guess not all the time. So we had some good times, but I think more bad times and good times because mum ended up sort of running off to uh, Scotland for two years with us, not once, but twice. Mm. And I think looking back, we were probably abducted and dad was wondering where we were, but they eventually got back together again and then sort of, we almost got put in a uh, school because the police used to come visit us quite often. And the reality is that I grew up in this situation, semi-fatherless and at times semi-motherless. And so I know how, you know, about 20% of kids in Australia feel growing up without a father. And I've got this passion to encourage dads and support dads and not let that happen to to their kids because I know how the children feel. So I guess I'm coming from the point of view of the children. Yeah. And I'm just passionate to encourage family, support marriages, and myself and my wife, um, you know, have really given our lives for that uh, that call over the last um, last sort of, particularly the last 16 years. But we've been involved in uh, ministry in the church sense and in family sense for um, for three or four decades. Wow. Okay. So you, you lead an organization called the Dads for Kids Fatherhood Foundation. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And, and what sort of activities are you involved in with that organization? Um, how are you sort of, you know, reaching out to deal with, with some of these issues? Well, Ken, I know you mentioned that we advocate and we do advocate for men and fathers in the public space, mm, mm. but that's probably secondary to our passion to provide courses, provide resources through a weekly email, you know, website, you know, YouTube's. We're just about to launch Courageous, which is an online course for dads in the coming weeks, and we're pretty excited by that. So that's the sort of stuff that really gets us out of bed in the morning. And, yes, we have to advocate. Unfortunately, that advocate, advocacy for men is getting harder and tougher because there's a real sort of um, almost a perceived societal hate for masculinity. You hear this phrase, toxic masculinity, mm. which I personally think is just absolute rubbish because – there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. There's toxic bad men and there's toxic bad women. And, you know, it would be the same as saying that uh, we have toxic femininity and that would be an insult to the women of this world. And toxic masculinity is an insult to the men of this world. You know, we, we've got to sort of own up to the fact that there is such a thing as good and evil in the world. And in the days of postmodernism where everything is relative, 
and there's no such thing as um, a good and evil. That's a that's the problem, you see. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess when people use words like toxic, they really are admitting that, you know, there is something wrong and that there is right and wrong. I mean, don't, don't you think that there are a lot of men who do receive, you know, toxic messages, you know, all the way from, you know, big boys don't cry through to, you know, he, he who has the most notches on his belt, you know, in terms of, you know, women he slept with wins. I mean, he isn't, doesn't that lead to a picture and, and a culture of masculinity that is indeed toxic? And, and don't some men actually end up, I guess, having the, those views to become a, a part of their character and, and a part of their outlook? How, how is that not toxic masculinity? Well, evil is toxic. What we've got, you know, manhood is not, is not toxic. In fact, manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. They're the words of Edmund Louis Cole, who was the really the founder of the Christian men's movement, but arguably probably one of the major leaders in the men's movement worldwide in the 80s. And, you know, I I think even a person not of faith would admit that the greatest man that ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ. He was the greatest advocate for women, I believe, in the whole of, you know, time and history. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a day when women were treated as chattels and slaves, when, you know, women were disregarded in so many different ways, Jesus Christ lifted up women. Jesus Christ honoured women, and that's what we as men have to do. And if men care for and honour the women in their lives and, in a general sense, honour women, we will have a very healthy, healthy society. But when they don't, and you've got this whole, you know, a whole society is awash with pornography, it's, it's demeaning to womanhood. And as you partake in that as a man, subconsciously you're sort of buying into that, that whole deal that a woman is an object in that a woman is <clears throat> nothing more than a slave. And so going back to those sort of days, pre-slavery days, when women were goods and chattels. So, you know, the ultimate advocate for women is Jesus Christ, and we as men should be advocating for the women in our lives and the women in general and, and, and seeing the best for them. And that's what a good man does. A good man is a leader, but a true leader is a servant leader. And again, getting back to, I believe, the greatest example of leadership was Jesus Christ. Mm. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, I did want to get onto fatherhood with with um, with this interview, but I think before we go there, we need to probably just explore the idea of masculinity first a, a little, you know, a little bit more because that is what undergirds, you know, fatherhood and people's experiences of, of their father. People use the phrase often that there's a crisis in masculinity right now. What, what do they mean when they say things like that? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Mark Latham first um, gave that um speech at the press club, I think it was about 2004, 2003, and he was right to to talk about it. And it's sort of gone a bit quiet, that whole idea for crisis of masculinity, but there has been a crisis of masculinity. And it's not just one thing, it's, it's a sort of a, you know, a perfect storm, if you like. You've got sort of 40, 50 years of very aggressive feminism. Hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of that feminism, not all, but a lot of that feminism has been very, very bitter often women who've been abused by men, they might have had an abusive uh, relationship with a man or they've grown up with an abusive father or worse still, they've actually been molested by a father figure, be it their father or stepfather or some father figure. So there's this perception that the patriarchy is the root of all evils. Well, again, it's just ridiculous, you know. It's just a ridiculous notion. Yes, uh, men are disproportionately rep- rep- uh, represented when it comes to rape and to murder mm, and to mm. a whole host of other nefarious activities. But, again, I would argue that 
that's just evil. It's just plain evil. When people kill, when people hurt, when people rape, that is completely wrong. It's not representative of masculinity. It's representative of bad behaviour, and bad behaviour is wrong. Hmm. And so we have to sort of isolate, you know, you know, let's get back to the, the God. God made man and woman, and he made man perfect and he made woman perfect. We had a lot of problems in the garden with a certain tree with a certain fruit on it. Mm-hmm. And we went the wrong way, way back, way back, way back. And still today we live in a fallen world. It's an imperfect world. So we, you and I, Kent, are imperfect people. I hope you, you might be quite more perfect than me, but I'm certainly imperfect, but <laughs> ask my wife. Yeah. So we're dealing and, and negotiating with that imperfection all the time. And we've got to be careful that we don't make the imperfection our masculinity or our femininity because mm. that is something that it comes from heaven. Uh, we make it imperfect because we do the wrong thing. Okay. So I, I guess when I hear the phrase, um, you know, crisis of masculinity, I guess what I'm thinking is that, you know, there may be boys growing up today who look around them, see various role models, they hear different messages. And at the end of that process, they're quite confused when it comes to understanding you know, what does it mean to grow up as a man? What does it mean to be a man? What What is manhood? Do, do you think boys and and even men, you know, fully grown are confused about what it means to be a man in the 21st century and somewhere like Australia? Look, it is a problem. And, you know, the fatherhood issue, I think, is the the big issue. I I, I just want to sort of make sure I balance this out because it's easy to blame, you know, strong advocacy and the feminists and and this sort of bitterness that's came into a lot of university teachings, which has now permeated through the through to the institutions and everything else. Mm. But the reality is, as Pogo said in a cartoon, I've met the enemy and the enemy hears us. I, I would still say our own apathy as men and our own lack of stepping up to the plate and living a, a true and proper life and certainly aiming to live a true and proper life is, is still the major cause of our problems. So I would argue a lot of it is self-inflicted. So jumping across to your question, mm. yes, the problem is, is for a lot of young boys, they don't see the role models they need to see because there's so few of them around. And the major role model a young boy needs to see is, is, is in his father. Yeah. And you have 20% of Australia's children. The reality is that, you know, it, those, those kids uh, are growing up in a fatherless home. There's over a million children tonight who go to bed without their father in the home. Now, the other issue, of course, is that there's a lot of fathers in the home, but the lights are on, but no one's home. So mm-hmm. dad's not engaged. Dad's not sort of there stepping up to the plate, supporting mum and being the father that he needs to be for the children, connecting and, you know, giving life to his kids. You know, there's a, a, a famous um, lady politician said to me, Dana Vale, she said, boys get, you know, boys and girls, but boys get their nurture from their mothers, but they get their identity from their fathers. And so, okay. you know, without fathers, you actually have a situation where boys are growing up without a proper identity or, or, or a, a, a def- deficit in their identity. So it is critical. And yes, we do have a problem. I believe we do have a masculinity crisis and we need to attend to it. Mm, okay. And, and I guess, as, as you're saying, following on from that masculinity crisis, or perhaps at the root of that masculinity crisis is a, a crisis in, in fatherhood. And that's the thing that your organization is trying to, to address specifically. What, what is going on with fatherhood? I mean, you're talking about absent fathers, whether they're you know, physically absent or, or just mentally absent. Is, is that all there is to it? You know, typically these, 
these um, conversations are, are huge in the sense that there's so many things, as I said to you, you've got a perfect storm. I mean, you've got this whole sort of um, sexual revolution in the 60s where, you know, anything goes. If you feel good, do it. Now, that just doesn't work in families. If you feel good, you do it. You get anarchy in families. Mm, you get mm. sexual anarchy produces all sorts of anarchy in families. And, you know, I've met mothers who've got five children and they're all to five different fathers and none of those fathers are there for those kids, you know. Yeah. Now, I'm not blaming the mothers because there's men out there that have perpetrated that. But you've got this society where you've got a flux and, you know, people, men aren't getting married as they used to in, the, in, in sort of 30, 40 years ago. And the, the statistics show that if you aren't married, uh, the chances of you having a relationship with your 18-year-old son, less than 50%. Wow. Uh, whereas if you are married and you are committed, I think it's like 60, 70, 80% chance of you being connected still to your son when he's 18 years of age. Uh, in fact, it would be, you know, if you stay married, it, it'll probably be sort of 90, 90, 90%, you know. So what happens with those figures, uh, and this is all social science figures, it shows that when we live in an amoral society where no one has any morals and it doesn't matter what you do and who you do it with, you get sexual anarchy and out of sexual anarchy you get a societal and family anarchy and that just doesn't work. You know, the best place for a child to grow up is with his biological mother and father. And yes, we have problems and yes, we have divorce and yes, we have tragedy, but we don't actually make that the, the ground rule. We, we, we aim for the highest, we aim for the golden rule, and then we work around with those situations where they aren't there and try to sort of make up. But we have a society now where sort of the lowest common denominator is the lowest common denominator. Okay, so so I guess what you're suggesting is that uh, in the last few decades we've seen this push to say, hey, let's not uh, you know marginalise or stigmatise families who are you know structured differently to the you know as you say the biological mom, biological dad, and kids. Let's um you know include all these people and have them recognised fully as families. And and I mean I think you know we could all understand the the impulse behind that to have these kids not feel like they're somehow less than or that they're somehow marginalised or, or stigmatised. But what you're saying is that when we take our eye off the ball in the terms of that traditional family, that there's an, there's an impact when, when that is not valued and upheld and, and encouraged. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, look, it's, I mean, a family's a family. And, and, you know, there's a lot of mothers who are valiantly doing a great job with their kids. And, uh, you know, if you're listening today, I just want to salute you and honour you because, all I can say is thank God for your bravery, thank God. And the single dads out there doing exactly the same. Yeah. And, you know, they're struggling on. And, and you know, God bless you and more power to you. But, you know, we all know, I mean, it's just sort of, it's just the reality of the human condition that, you know, you need a, uh, the ideal case scenario is 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 the mas- a combination of the masculine and the feminine. And out of that tension, there's a tension comes when you bring the masculine and the feminine together, the hardest thing a man will do is to say I do mm. and get married and then stay married. And for some reason it's harder for a man to do that than a woman. But if a man can pull that off, if a man can love his wife and honour and cherish her, and I do mean cherish her mm. because women are love sponges and they need that sort of attention, they need that sort of care, and men, men aren't love sponges and they can sort of get by with food, Sex and sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But women, it's not a, you know, women are like a Ferrari car, you know. 
and, and men are built like a truck and a truck really is a diesel truck only needs, you know, fuel, uh, it needs a filters change, it needs oil changes and it just goes and goes and goes if it's looked after. Whereas a Ferrari is very high powered, but it requires a lot of attention. It requires a lot, the, the right sort of fuels and the right sort of care. And of course, it's capable of very high performance and, you know, it can outspeed a truck. And so, you know, it's not that men are, d- are unequal to women. Uh, it's just that they're different and, and we need both in the family and we need the Ferraris. <laughs> we need the high powered Lamborghinis, but we need that truck, that stability that that truck brings, that diesel truck that just keeps on humming. And they're the sort of vehicles that work together. There's another sort of analogy on this, uh, Kent. Um, yeah. They've done sort of studies, and I'm talking out of social science. This is not Warwick Marsh here. This is a, I mean, the analogy of the truck is and the, and the Lamborghini, but <laughs> the, 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 the social science research shows that, you know, that the best place for a child to grow up unequivocally, and you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of studies, is in it, biological mother and father in a loving, connected, married home, okay? Yeah, That's yeah. The yeah. I, I, I actually remember reading some US statistics uh, just a couple of years back quite recently where they're looking at uh, abuse rates and it seems really clear that family structure is, uh, is a huge risk or a huge protective factor uh, when it comes to abuse statistics. Exactly what you're saying, if you have biological mum and biological dad together with their biological kids, the, the rates of abuse are, are way down compared to you know families of, of other the structures. It just seems to be a, a biological sort of reality that's possibly politically inconvenient for some people. But you know, there it is. The, those are the facts. Look, it's just it's just an absolute fact. You know, and you could go through all sorts of issues like sexual abuse just goes through the roof as families disintegrate. You know, stepfathers, it's it's higher. It, it's like ten times higher with mum's boyfriend. It's revolving door relationships that unfortunately women do get involved with, yeah. which is very sad. It, and it just goes through the roof, the the, the the problems of sexual abuse, mortality, you know, deaths in the family, you know, they go through the roof when, um, you know, you move out of the, this sort of nuclear model, this this, this 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 wonderful model that we've got from, from eternity. Jumping back to that, I was going to say, there's, there's, mm. they've done studies and the studies show that when men get together, they form hierarchies, right? Okay. And uh, whether it's in jail or it's in, it's, uh, in uh, army or even in you know business worlds or whatever, and you get groups of men together, and they form natural hierarchies. When you get women together, they like to form circles, right? Okay. And I would argue that a, a family is both a hierarchy and a circle. It's not a hierarchy. If it's a hierarchy, I believe it's wrong. Hmm. But and if it's a circle, no one you know no one's getting anything done, and no one's got to you know no one makes hmm. a hard decision. It, so it still needs leadership. Yeah. Best form of family is is actually both a hierarchy and a circle working together. So a man listens to the wife, the wife listens to the man, they come together, they, they make, you know, combined agreements and those combined agreements exert tremendous power, you know, and so you have a situation where we have to understand that, that, that women bring something to the table that's quite unique to families and, and men do too. And there's a Chinese saying, it would be very unpolitically correct today, mm. but it says that a a, 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 fa- a family without a father is like a house without a roof. Okay. And uh, it's true. And uh, another guy in the States who has done a lot of studies, he's got his doctorate, Wade Horn, talks about a, um, you know, a, a sort of freewheeled car. You know, you can drive a freewheeled car. It w- actually will, it will work, but it's very hard to steer. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, look, Warwick, 
we could probably, you know, go on forever on, on the, these sorts of topics, but I wanted to sort of turn our attention a little bit to an article that appeared uh, in, it's appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine, the, the August magazine. Uh, it's called Show Us the Father by Jeris Bragan. Now, Jeris is or, or was a, a counsellor working with troubled adolescents in a, a sort of a mental health facility, you know, that sort of context. And he ha- wrote a really interesting article about how those kids experience or how their picture of God was really influenced by the way that they were brought up by their fathers, or or I guess the way that their fathers weren't necessarily there at all. Is this uh, sort of a consistent idea uh, with what you're experiencing when when you're out there talking to men, when you're you're out there talking to families? Well, look, I I think that I think that family is very spiritual. I actually believe that sex is is spiritual, and, and, mm. and I believe the Bible would back that up. But let's put that aside for one moment. I remember I was at, at a um, in Albury with my band, and we were playing music. This was way back uh, twenty five years ago, and uh, we were playing sort of um, you know Christian rock and roll in a in a, in a uh, high school, you know, lunchtime. And this young man was there ha- helping us. He was hanging around at the end. He was listening to our message mm. as we shared the message of faith. And, and the love of God. And, uh, you know, he was helped us pack up our equipment and, I, and he was about 13, 14, long blonde hair. I can still see him there. Mm. And uh, I said to him, it was context, it was within context at the time, Kent. And I said, you know, Father God loves you. And he suddenly, his demeanor changed, his face changed. He said, don't talk to me about effing Father God. I hate my father. He shot my mother and he's in jail. I don't want to effing know about you, effing, <laughs> you know, wow. Father God. Yeah, and yeah. I completely sort of was sort of stopped because my job as a person of faith, sharing my faith in that school was to show the love of God mm. who is a father. And, you know, Jesus referred to his father hundreds of times. And, in fact, the Lord's Prayer is our father who art in heaven. Yeah, and yeah. suddenly I was completely stopped. So I, I, I think, you know, that guy had a blockage and he had to deal with it. And, you know, unfortunately I never saw him again. But he will actually have to deal with that whole issue of his own father and ultimately probably, it's a hard thing to say this, but forgive his father because it will be a blockage to him understanding the father's love. Wow. Uh, conversely, I was just walking into my office this morning, Kent, and uh, a gentleman who uh, runs a shop here, he's a Greek, Yugoslav background, and he said, uh, yeah. hey, Warwick, it's good to see you, mate. I said, it's good to see <laughs> you too, um, bro. And he said, you know what, Warwick, uh, this might sound funny, but uh, I'm a god to my kids. I tell mm-hmm. my kids that I'm a God to them. You might think I'm a really weird guy to say that, Warwick. I said, no, no, I don't think you're weird. I think that we do represent God to our kids. And if we are mongrels and if we are horrible, they grow up thinking that God is horrible. Mm-hmm. But if we are kind and if we do admit when we're wrong and, and if we do uh, be gracious and courteous and loving to the, uh, the, the women in our lives, the mother, the, the fathers, the children that we love so much, they will grow up realizing that God is good. Mm. So yes, I'd agree with that comment. Wow. Okay. So, so on on one hand, if we've had a, a real sort of tough experience with our dad, I mean, I think sometimes you know people in the men's movement use the phrase, you know, their father wound. Um, you know, th- there's this deep wound that goes right back to the way that that they were fathered. That can be a real blockage, especially when someone presents God as a loving father. As you say, it's a very biblical uh, way of referring to God. God is our father. And and then on the other hand, if we have had uh, a, a very nurturing father, a loving father, a father who, who's led us and, and disciplined us in a way that, that we know 
you know, has helped us to become the people we are today. And someone presents God as a father. It's actually quite a, a, a warm and a quite an attractive uh, way for, for us to see God. Is that what it comes down to? I couldn't have said it better myself, Kent. Congratulations. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. So, um, we, we only have a, a few minutes before we, we need to finish, Warwick, but um, just before we go, are you able to give some sort of practical tips for, for the dads out there or perhaps, you know, the, the stepdads or perhaps the mums who are, you know, playing the, the dad role um, as a single mum in their family when it comes to, you know, bringing up kids and being that father figure, you know, doing some, some good fathering? What, what can you tell us from, from the research, from your experience? Okay, so let's, I'm going to borrow someone else's wisdom here. Dr. Bruce... Robinson mm. is the probably the still Australia's best-selling author of uh, fatherhood books. He's written two books, Father in the Fast Lane and Dads and Daughters, mm-hmm. and I'd recommend them highly. Just Google Dads and Daughters, Dr. Bruce Robinson. He's in West Australia. He started the Fatherhood Project in West Australia in Perth, doing a great job, okay. and Fathering from the Fast Lane, so two great books. He says you, every father's got to get on the fatherhood bus, every father, okay? Mm. What, what, what does he mean bus, by that? The bus is... B, B stands for being there. So every father's got to be there for his kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, the good times, the bad times, be there to listen, be there to support, be there to love, be there to be, just be there. And, um, you know, you've got to get quantity time and quality time in together. It's not either or it's both and. Yeah, yeah. Number two, the U stands in bus, stands for unconditional love. Mm. So you've got to give unconditional love to your kids. And at times you're going to have to grit your teeth. At times, you're going to disagree sometimes with what your kids do, especially as they get older. Of course, when they're younger, you've got to sort of point them in the right direction and maybe give them a whack on the backside from time to time if they go the other way or send them to the room. Whatever you mm. choose to do as discipline, you must actually have some sort of discipline structure mm. in mm. your home. Otherwise, yeah. it would be anarchy. And it's got to be consistent, uh, yeah. But ultimately, unconditional love is the key. It's about love. It's about saying I love you quite often. Mm-hmm. The last S is for make your children feel special. If you don't, who will? Yeah. And, of course, if you don't, the wrong people might actually make them feel special for the wrong reasons. So wow. you make your children feel special special for the right reasons, and that's how you get on the bus. Now, this applies to dads. It applies to single dads. It applies to stepdads. And for single mums out there, I really want to encourage you to find those role models, mm. and sometimes it can take a bit of finding, but find those role models. Uh, they could be within your own family, uncles, uh, grandfathers, and it could be outside your family, but certainly mums, you do have to think in terms of finding the right role models for your boys. Mm, wow. Okay. So get on the bus, dads. B-U-S. B for be there. U for unconditional love. And S for make your kids feel special. Now, Warwick, you're, you're a, a pastor um, as well as all this other work with fatherhood that you do. And um, you, you told me before the interview that you'd really love to pray prayer of blessing for all the dads and all the other people who are filling that dad role out there. Would would you like to finish by praying and, and blessing those people? Look, I'd love to. If I can, just mm. mention our website, dadsforkids.org.au. And please... And, and that's, um, that, that's want, dads for, it's the number four, isn't it? So dads... Yeah, num- number, four. yeah number four, dadsforkids.org.au, mm-hmm. dads for kids, and you can find resources there. And we have a weekly email. If you're listening today and you want more encouragement as a parent, you want more encouragement as a dad, single dad, whatever your situation might be. We send that that out every week, has been for 16 years, which is pretty amazing. Mm. And 
will you'll get some sort of encouragement. There's a joke in there each week. If you do nothing but laugh, that's important. <laughs> and that's great. If uh, is there's little sayings and little thoughts, and it will help you to be the best you can be. Yes, I'd love to pray. I'll pray right now. Is that okay? Go for it, Father. I just thank you for everybody that's listening today. I just thank you for the single mums who are doing it tough, and we just pray you'll encourage them. The single dads who are doing it tough, we pray that you'll encourage them. And Lord, we thank you for the stepdads and the biological dads that they will stand up, rise up and get on the fatherhood bus, be there for their kids, give that unconditional love and make their children feel special. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time, Warwick Marsh. It's It's been a blast and uh, maybe we'll get you back on another time. Always happy to talk to you, Kent. And again, thank you to all those listening today. We really appreciate the fact that you're listening today. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. Adventist Media.